called the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. It's a serious question. I, I appreciate your passion. I share it. I've addressed this question. I've addressed my personal feelings. And I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. You're listening to Just Ask the Question, adventures in reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am Brian Karam, and today, pleased to have Cooper Hefner with me, and uh, Cooper running Playboy magazine, and uh, the, well, the son of, of one of my favorite icons of um, lucky enough to meet your dad once uh, Hugh Hefner and so Cooper's here with us today and since it is just ask the question Cooper I'm just going to ask the question how relevant is Playboy today uh, I would say and I am biased <laughs> <laughs> and, well, uh, and, and as full disclosure I, I write a column for Playboy so I think you're very relevant <laughs> um, I always find it interesting that people who are critics of the philosophy and the brand want to tell us why we're not relevant yet if you were to take a step back and see the number of people who read that article talked about the company talked about the magazine it's it's pretty clear that uh that the organization and the brand itself is likely more relevant than it's ever been uh and i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that core qualities and really directional notes, culturally speaking, that Playboy and my dad were responsible for, specifically the conversation around gender identity, the roles of men and women. Uh, a lot of that is is resurfacing and coming back up and manifesting in ways that uh, are not, I, I wouldn't say I, truly, I, I don't think that there's as much of a disconnect between the early 50s and today in regards to that particular conversation. Certainly, circumstances are different, um, but there are a lot of similarities. Well, and I, I, when you mention those issues, the one that always brings it home for me is the First Amendment. Certainly. Playboy was on the forefront and has been for First Amendment issues for a very long time. Right. And um, I remember it, the one conversation I had with your dad, I was always curious. And so when I met him, I had to ask, I said, you know, I, I've always read and enjoyed Playboy magazine and, you know, subscribed to it long before I ever uh, wrote for it. And I did love, I mean, the literature, the, 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 the cartoons, the humor, the music, the sport, everything about it I enjoyed other than, you know, the women, which I also enjoyed. But I, I said, which came first? What, what, what was, you know, did, did you have in mind to do a, a you know, a, a literature magazine and bring people in by showing naked women? Or was that, you know, happenstance? And I remember your dad looked at me and said, well, it all worked out, didn't it? <laughs> and so I, I never really got the answer to that. But I mean, I know the lore. Mm -hmm. I know I know what the history is. But one of the reasons why I, I admire my dad so much, and I think that I share this point of view, is if you were to if you go back and look at the early magazine and the early issues that were published. I mean, even reading the the first manifesto that was written that was published in the actual first issue with Marilyn Monroe on the cover, you'll note that it's very clear that he was not assuming that the magazine was going to participate in having really thoughtful conversations around culture. As a matter of fact, he actually said something along the lines of, 
I hope that I can remove men's minds from the atomic age and they can get lost in the pages and be entertained for a moment. And what one found as the magazine was more successful and the company had money to spend and they collected these cultural figures that were up and coming and some that were established, politics and free speech and these conversations around how to live in the best society that we can live in really became a focal point of the magazine. And really that, from my perspective and the conversations I've had with my dad, was a response to the fact that the magazine had this immense following and was growing in popularity rapidly. And the note of what it is exactly that I look at that I admire about my dad, uh, it's that a lot of people end up having uh, a soapbox unexpectedly. And they don't necessarily use it in a way that is responsible. I think that we can, I can <laughs> certainly make that criticism uh, of someone who currently inhabits the White House. Uh, but you're being I, kind. I am. <laughs> I always uh, admired that about my dad, that he launched something at actually the age that I'm at, 27 years old, which is interesting in itself for me personally and professionally. Um, but he launched this company not expecting to change anything and ended up being, uh, I'm proudly blow, blow smoke up my dad's ass when I say this, uh, <laughs> one of the great thought leaders of, of the 20th uh, and 21st century. You know what concerns me, and I'll ask this question as bluntly as possible. Don't Don't you get a little upset when people miss the point? Because I know... I do. <laughs> I have actually had conversations with people, and, and I, I told uh, Shane, Shane Singh, your managing editor, I, I was talking to him earlier, and I, I said, you know, there I was in the White House, and I was being told by someone that, you know, I'm a known pornographer. And I said, you know, you need to expand your mind a little bit. I, I, and and I, what was funny is, I said, what are you reading right now? And he goes, oh, this, you, you know, this is a great book. This is the type of stuff that you should read. This is Fahrenheit 451. I said, yeah. Do you know where that was first published? Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, no. I go, Playboy. And he goes, no. I go, yes, do your history. The, some of the greatest minds of the 20th century, Martin Luther King, I mean, the, the list goes on and on, were in the pages of Playboy. So does it ever bother you when people really miss the point? Yes, all the time. <laughs> because it's very personal for me when people miss the point. But I also understand why people miss the point. And the individuals that often don't look at the details that you're talking about and that I'm aware of and that so many Playboy fans are aware of uh, have a tendency of getting caught up in the sex piece of the brand, which is that, yes, there is this unapologetic approach to sex that suggests we should not keep this in the closet. It belongs to be next. It belongs next to really quality content, and that's not something that we should be ashamed of as people. Uh, and you would think that that would not be that controversial of a subject to to discuss or even an idea to suggest today, but it is. Yes, and it, it goes, and they and say that you really, objectify women, and sure. you put women down, and I mean, how do you react when people come at you with that? When people come at me with objectifying women? Yeah. Uh, my particular point of view is that there's a detachment from the way many people think and feel, and there's a lack of honesty in that. Uh, and what I mean by that is 
that we consensually objectify ourselves constantly, whether it's yes, we do. With the hair, how we style our hair, what we wear, how we act, uh, to suggest that styling oneself to attract another is a bad thing with clothes on or without clothes on is absurd. And the fact that we have a tendency of accepting and I would say even oftentimes encouraging violence over the idea of sex or celebrating sex or having a conversation around sex is strange to me. It's uh, unfortunately, it's, it's not strange to me, but it still is an anathema to me. I still can't stand it. It, right. it bugs me to no end that, um, and so I have to ask you that. Do you, do you, are you concerned with, and by the way, I want to thank you for the bourbon. We're in, sitting in Cooper's <laughs> office, enjoying a bourbon. It is after hours here. And, and, by, and, and Playboy After Hours was a great show, by the way. After dark. <laughs> after dark, yes. that's right. I'm sorry. I, I, Come on, Karen, stick to the script. I, I'm sticking to the script. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> sorry. But uh, you know, I, I, what I loved about it was the unapologetic view, and it was just no nonsense. And today, don't you find us a more brittle society than even in the 60s when your father was, I mean, the headway that was made in civil rights and accepting of other people and, and differences being okay, today seems to have gone back to the 50s. You said earlier that, you know, Playboy's as relevant now as it was in the 50s, and that's telling to me in many ways. Sure. I think was the specific note that I had mentioned was the connection between the conversation around gender roles and yes. the fact that Playboy was a participant in facilitating that. I mean, if you were to ask many of the women uh, why they posed for the magazine in the 50s and 60s and 70s and really what the idea was... Uh, that my dad was trying to suggest in the pages of the publication, it was that there was a, a stereotype that revolved around women, and that was that you were to be sub, uh, essentially a, a servant in the kitchen to your significant other, be a housewife, and that was your future. And the notion of uh, another lane to have a career and have conversations around saying we like sex too, we actually enjoy a lot of the things that men like, um, was groundbreaking. It was empowering. Not objectification, it was actually empowering. Certainly from, I mean, again, yours and I's point of view, yes. Um, So uh, then I, I guess exploring the other idea, which is do I think that we're, what did you say, less happy now? I think we're more brittle now. And we don't laugh as much as we used to. People are. I think we're. we're look, we're at a we're at a moment where the quality of life for many people, uh, other than folks who are white male, is certainly much better than the 1950s, and that's something Absolutely. worth celebrating. Uh, but it's a very serious time. Uh, I mean, uh, people of all ages are very uncomfortable with what's going on in government. They're uncomfortable with the growing divide within the country. Uh, That's not just an issue that the United States is addressing. It's something that we're seeing in Brazil and throughout European countries. And uh, there is a polarization of conservatism and liberalism um, that is, uh, I would say, trending around the globe right now that I think is making people feel 
very uncomfortable and and uh, I think that's really the the thread to brittle but um, yeah I think we probably could use a laugh many of us could use a little more laughter in our lives yeah I agree with that and not take everything so damn seriously oh uh, yeah that's certainly true and that's and it's tough and you know that was one of the things about Playboy when you know Growing up, it was, I mean, whether it was little Annie Fanny or right. I was, whatever I was, there was, there was humor. I remember, you know, honestly, you know, well, of course we all looked at Centerfold, but I looked at the back page of just the jokes. Mm. And I remember, you know, when I was a kid and I wanted to be a stand-up, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd crib from some of the jokes on the back because I thought they were hilarious. Right. And I still remember some of them. That's how damn futile I am at telling a joke. Right. <laughs> But what, all right, let's go back and take a look at some of the people that have been in Playboy. Just, I mean, I mentioned Fahrenheit 451 and yeah, Ray. I mean, Ray Bradbury, Jack Kerouac, uh, Margaret Atwood, MLK Jr. I mean, those were some of the prolific authors uh, and writers uh, who were published, and and the list goes on and on. And then you go into the art space, and you see folks like Shel Silverstein and. Art Paul and others, and then you go into individuals who wanted their voices to be a part of the conversation within the pages, and you see, uh, um, again, MLK Jr. and Malcolm X and Fidel Castro and Hunter Thompson, yeah. certainly, and yeah, all the Fidel. way up to, Jimmy again, Carter. A rele- yes, Jimmy Carter, and then the relevancy note of, you know, seeing modern influences as well and and folks who participated in directing whether you agree with their point of view in the direction or not certainly interesting uh figures in society and specifically american society dick cheney and bernie sanders and others james carville uh, yes that's yeah you've it, it's been a pantheon of of people who've made a difference in the 20th and 21st century certainly what's what's so interesting and we've actually had this conversation within the walls of of uh, our offices and I have seen folks who are fans of the brand as well as individuals who are critics of the brand uh, take shots at us, at us uh, recently for publishing uh, a Tucker Carlson interview. Right. And, uh, you know, there were individuals on the team, on our team, who, uh, like many on the outside, thought, what is this individual doing in uh, uh, a magazine and associated with a company and on Playboy's digital platforms that is supposed to be liberal. And I just took a step back and thought, you're really detached, not just from what makes the company unique and special, but really what makes the country special. And that is that we are not who we're supposed to be if we are reminding ourselves that our opinion is not just right, but we're also only encouraging people who think like us to speak. And the idea of featuring people like that, I could not be further uh, from, or, or I could not be on a, a uh, I would say, on the opposite end of, of, of the spectrum of Tucker Carlson's political uh, uh, point of views. But I think we end up in a in a very dangerous place when uh, we are only interested in talking to people that remind us that our point of view is correct. Yeah, I think the world would be a very vague and that, dull place if we all thought this. I, that's remember, where we are to a certain yes. extent today. I th- that's one of the great, uh, I think, challenges that social media, uh, specifically Twitter, um, 
not necessarily encourages, but just the experience on the platform is one that allows for us to cater our particular values. It's, it's an echo chamber. So when we, if if we are individuals who wake up and go on Twitter or throughout our day go and get our news from that platform, we're oftentimes reminding ourselves that we're correct rather than exploring what else there is out there. I agree. There was a, remember the guiding principle for the for free speech was I, I may disagree with what you say, but will defend to death your right to say it. Yes. And that's been replaced in this country with I disagree with what you say, you're wrong, and you die. Yes. And that's um, that and, was one of the things that, you know, it, and when you mention it, every time I, I, I speak with people who speak against Playboy, I go, have you ever read it? Do you know? And when I mentioned that Tucker Carlson was in the magazine, Tucker Carlson would never stoop to be in a magazine like that. I go, here he is. Mm. And John Wayne was in it. And well, not I, only that, I mean, it's, it's you know, it, again, and, and what I identified as being something that's really important is don't just look at the singular issue. Look at the narrative that's being communicated with each issue. Uh, you know, a couple back, you have Scarlett Johansson doing the exact same interview. Uh, right. on Playboy.com and in the magazine that Tucker Carlson does. And and that's the point, right, is, again, you, you, I believe you end up in a better place when you invite different types of people and listen to different point of views. I mean, and I, I believe that because of the fact that we are products of a country uh, that instilled those values. Well, you know, and there was, uh, when I first started doing a Playboy interview, Arthur Kreshmer and I had a conversation, and he said, one of the reasons why talk about Playboy history. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> now I am dating myself, but but Arthur, you know, and I I loved when I first walked into his office in New York, and they had a huge, you know, portrait above his office, very much steeped in in Playboy, mm. and just a hell of a guy. I mean, really a great guy. But he said that the the Playboy interview. He said, and, and that's always been like the hallmark for interviews. I mean, the Playboy interview is the gold standard for interviews. And the reason why, he said, is because your point of view doesn't matter. Your point of view is to get them to talk about their point of view. And you challenge them through the questions, not your opinions, but your questions. And their answers serve to guide you into making decisions about how this interview goes and he goes and that's the difference between the playboy interview and all other interviews and i have to tell you i learned a lot from him just listening to you know before i went out to do my first playboy interview and um to to this day i think that's what makes the playboy interview unique i i've never really out of any of the interviews that i've ever read in playboy or conducted could you tell the point of view of the person conducting the interview it's just a straight up question and answer and the person who's answering the sometimes questions. we've had writers who have who have been published who have done interviews that certainly push a particular agenda. Well, okay, uh, but, yeah, but yes, <laughs> but, yes, but I'm giving. Yes, how the hell with them? They don't matter. <laughs> yes. but, but but by and large, I mean, it, I don't you think that it's the interview itself and what the people say in the interview that matters. Specifically with the Playboy interview franchise, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's one of the things I've enjoyed about the, I mean, reading it is just, you know, so that's my fanboy thing right. on, on the interview. Where do you think Playboy goes in the future? I think it depends on if you're talking about the business or the brand. Um, well, let's talk about both. Okay. Well, I think, from a business standpoint, there are certainly product categories that uh, 
are very authentic to what Playboy's point of view has been for a long time that uh, were not necessarily available before. Cannabis is the immediate example where you take a step back and say, uh, you know, there's going to be a few individuals, individuals meaning organizations, right? Individual organizations that uh, are going to step into that space and successfully become the the Marlboro of of pot the, in fi- the fifties, right? Right. I'm not encouraging smoking, everyone, kids. Uh, uh, Damn it, we're encouraging sponsored sex by and Marlboro. Pot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, sponsored by Marlboro. Yeah. Um, so we're we're looking at that space, and the challenges is the legalization and the fact that states are, you know, accepting it and others are not. And uh, we have to be, be careful because of trademark and, and other business lines that the company's in, uh, specifically gaming and, and cannabis. There's a lot of sensitivities, and we have a big gaming business. Um, so ARVR is another one that's really interesting. That's a space that is very new that's going to be owned by video games and adult entertainment and so you um, see playboy going into those businesses certainly i mean i'm i will tell you that we're in real time meeting with partners i just got back from las vegas uh and we had several meetings about what uh uh uh, opportunity in the cannabis space would look like um but what about the playboy magazine to me the gold standard so again, through the lens of the business, still, yeah, uh, I have to work to put my business hat on because really everything is very personal. <laughs> but I'm, I'm I'm trying to to shift gears uh, with the mindset. Uh, the magazine has not been profitable for a long time, and the challenge, you know, we're stepping towards our quarterly. Which uh, there's an amazing team here who today actually the uh, Jan Feb March uh, issue closed, and it's spectacular. But the the challenge is. Um, making sure that we're putting a product out there that reflects what the brand values are while recognizing that we probably should stop evaluating the magazine as an opportunity to generate revenue. Uh, And I say that probably, uh, really not literally, we should not look at the magazine as an opportunity to generate revenue uh, because it's incredibly difficult to, to, uh, to do it with in this day and age. Nearly impossible. And that's, that's a big problem that, media has Certainly. i mean the media and and the information that playboy is given and the the access to information the access to literature the access to all of that that playboy has given over the years it's an independent publication it's not owned by you know time warner there's no conde and asked <clears throat> yeah right and it's increasingly difficult for any independent publisher yes to work in today's world but as necessary and as vital as it's ever been i would argue i agree i'll t- i mean i've i've certainly fought to keep the magazine around uh while others have argued on behalf of the reason or certain reasons to say we should focus our efforts in other places well it's and you know the thing about it is, and I argue, I've won the fight because the magazine's here. <laughs> I was going to ask so you. That. Sorry, say, yeah, I know there are going to be executives who listen to this as well. Uh, I'm not calling you out. I'm just saying the magazine's important. It is. It is. And you know that. And what I tell people is, when I first got into this business, eighty percent of what you see, read, or hear uh, was owned by about twenty companies. Today, ninety-five percent of what you see, read, or hear is owned by five companies. 
So the independent publisher is as more, as important, if not more important today than it was when I first got in this business. And Playboy has been at the forefront of that. So mazel tov. <laughs> and God bless you for doing it. Uh, where do you think... The re- like, uh, where do you think the rest that you we talked well, about brand. the brand? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's pretty obvious to me uh, that the right direction for the organization to go down is the company has historically given permission to a heterosexual male to celebrate sex and to celebrate what was sold as the good life and perceived as the good life. And as more voices come to the table that were not before, which is undoubtedly a positive for the country and the world, the company needs to participate in making sure that we're encouraging individuals to be a part of that celebration with us. Uh, Something that I... Celebrating sex no matter what your sex is. Yes. Yes. I mean, I take a step back and you look at some of the numbers, 50% of our product is, is purchased by men. I'm sorry, by women, uh, which, well, which means that 50% percent of is- clearly the drink is making the evening a little bit better. <laughs> um, God, let's have some more. Cheers. <laughs> Here's to you, brother. Um, uh, 50% men, 50%, 50% women. That's the way it what works. What a concept. Well, think, see, I'm not the CFO, right? I'm the CCO. <laughs> Uh, well, you're in the right spot then. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so that that tells us that there's a massive audience that wants to interact with the brand. And we do a really good job of delivering product globally with licensing and joint ventures um, to meet that need. But it also should cause us internally from an editorial and content point of view to say, how can we start to talk more about topics of interest to those individuals? Um, and I certainly feel that way with, you know, there's so many men who identify as gay and queer who I've met that really have an affinity for the brand. And I constantly am thinking um, of not just products that make sense to them, uh, but really saying, how can we evolve our philosophy to uh, not just include them because they've been included in the celebration of sex, right? But more importantly, the 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 greater challenge is how do you evolve the brand to include them in the conversation around arousal and the conversation around what their good life looks like? And there's no real easy answer to it, but it certainly makes the job a lot of. I was going to say a lot of fun. Well, that's true too. Uh, it's certainly challenging, uh, but a lot of fun. Well, the, the, how do you reach? Do you, well, the the thing there is, how do you um, do that without then angering or or putting in a box the original audience? Mm-hmm. And there are going to be some people among them Trump supporters who are never going to embrace that uh, all-inclusive idea of what mm. sex is. I find that disturbing, but I, it is a fact. Our CEO, Ben Cohen, uh, made an analogy to the company and said, you know, redirecting this organization, if you look at it through a business or brand lens, is like moving a ship. And I came in when I stepped into uh, a senior executive position. I was... 
you know, 24 years old. And I thought, I want to do this, 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 this. And I kept saying, no, it's not a, a ship. It's a speedboat. You can, we can move very quickly. And what you just said, which is there is a legacy audience that does have an affinity and love for the brand. Right. And, and you don't want to alienate them. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Uh, we do not want to alienate them. Um, so oftentimes there are pivots rather than jerking motions. Uh, that's a strange... Uh, <laughs> sponsored by Marlboro. Yes. Uh, uh, sponsored by condoms. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, Get your jerking motion down now. Coming up. Rather than quick turns. Um, and that's something no, that no one wants to come too quick. <laughs> I'm sorry. That <laughs> See, Brian, Brian, Brian's getting ready to write the, the, the party jokes. <laughs> that's <laughs> forget the white, forget the white house gig. Yeah. <laughs> hey, the president accused me of being a comedian in the last, did he? Yeah. I asked, you know, I got, I'll tell you that story real quick. We're, we're, we're sitting there talking and I, I stood, uh, stood up to ask a question and I was going to ask him about battling the Democrats, but he went on about Oprah. Mm. And I said, you know, I had this question in mind, but you, you're professing all this Oprah love, and I'm, I go, what's that all about? And he goes, what are you a comedian? And yeah, <laughs> hey, yeah, good to see you. You know, be here all week. Try the veal. But um, back to the point. Sorry, <laughs> we got <laughs> off the point. Um, but let me ask There's, you this. Yeah. <laughs> let me ask you this. I ask this of of everyone that I interview. You you have uh, you are involved in, in in a greater culture. You are a, a captain of industry. Do you vote? Do I vote in the sense of do I participate? Do you in... vote in the elections? Do you vote? Oh, absolutely. That's to me is one of the biggest. Qu- I ask every now. Most of the people I interview say yes, but I'm always thrown when someone says no that it doesn't make a difference. Hmm. And I try to, and so then I spend all day long trying to convince them otherwise. I understand why people feel that way, though. I do too. Um, but I think I, again, people feel that way. <laughs> I'll backtrack and, and say what's interesting is so many people say, you know, Trump is stupid, who don't agree with his point of views. And I think that's really dismissing what he's been able to accomplish and what the folks around him have been able to successfully uh, suggest he focus on, which is that the presidency is not won through the popular vote. As we saw in this last election, right. you need 270 votes. And a lot of that is deals behind closed doors and conversations behind closed doors and clearly he did a a good enough job to have his residency uh until 2020 be the white house um i i think that's it that's the real easy note to hit of why people do feel like they are are uh, disconnected or want to disconnect from from the election process in general, at least as of recently. And then I think also there's not a lot of people who are running that are really that exciting. No, that's a good point. Uh, The Democrats all seem to be, I'm not him. Yes. And I, yes. And, and yeah, but I, that doesn't get anybody excited. I've always had the particular, I've always had the point of view that, that there is a a civil service uh, and an obligation uh, to vote. Yes. Uh, and obligations don't have to be negative. Uh, and there are a lot of things that I have to do that I really enjoy. Um, so I get, again, I don't have to vote, but I feel I do. And I get the greatest amount of satisfaction every time I, I get to. 
Yeah, I, I feel like I've, I've actually participated in something. I'm part of a bigger culture, something, yes. part of something larger than myself. And a lot of the elections that people feel like don't matter actually matter to their life more than higher office. Yeah, the local, local state. Yes. The, and those sometimes are decided by one, two, three, 79 votes. You know, yes. in one case, locally uh, in Maryland that I covered recently. So it's you do need to be involved. On a on a base on a daily basis, <laughs> we can cut. You, you can edit that, right? Yeah, yeah. we can. It's live. No, it's We're not. Live. There you go. Oh, are we? <laughs> no. The dilemmas of a podcast. <laughs> oh, that's all right. We I I've, I did one in uh, with uh, Mike McCurry, the um, um, former press secretary for uh, Clinton. And we did it. We'll this, edit this then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we can edit it. Okay. And and uh, I, we were sitting there talking, and we were in a, a restaurant. Mm. And blah, 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 yeah, with a white noise, a lot yeah. of stuff going on in the background. And I said, "Hey, we're at the whatever restaurant we're at, and you know, here it is. Right. So get used. You get used to it. And we're drinking, so you know, get used to it. Right. <laughs> the other question I like to ask: What's if you've got an anecdote you wanted to share with someone? What's your favorite? It doesn't matter whether it's political or cultural, but what's your favorite anecdote you like to tell at a party? My favorite anecdote I like to tell at a party. I don't think I have one. Don't have one? Mm-mm. You got a good anecdote to tell? You're a stand-up comedian. You got five minutes. What do you got there, brother? <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason I'm not paid to, to do stand-up, <laughs> and I'm not going to prove it to people who are listening right now. <laughs> All right, let me, t- let me ask it another way. What's your favorite story about your dad? Hmm. I don't know if I have a, a favorite story about my dad. Um, what would you like people to know about him that perhaps they don't know? The, 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 ch- the challenge with answering that is that there's very little that people don't know about him. <laughs> uh, in the sense that he lived a very open... Public life. Yes. And um, uh, again with the understanding that people would appreciate that and uh, uh, be incredibly judgmental of it. I don't know if, I don't know that there's anything that I can shine a light on uh, that's, you know, Well, I can tell you one thing I really admired about him that I like because I, you and I talked about this earlier, sound engineer standing here though. Right. (laughs) But um, I've tried to live my life where, you know, if people didn't, accept me I just didn't give a shit Hmm. and one of the things I liked about your father was that he lived life on his own terms Hmm. and I gotta tell you that's rare and um, so that was my I mean just sitting down and talking with him you got that that from him in in limited exchange that I had he's your dad Hmm. so you would know better than anyone that he lived life on his own terms I find that I find people are inspired and aspire to that, but don't necessarily do it. Yes, I think I think that's true. Um, I would say to people who are his critics, uh, one thing that I would like for them to do is first get off their high horse, <laughs> and second, recognize that he's human. And we end up, uh, all of us, in a far better place if we can 
understand that and respect the fact that our neighbors should live different lives than we do, which goes back to some of the notes that we were touching right. on before. Um, and again, that's not necessarily people who respect and have admiration and love for the Playboy philosophy or what the brand represented, but really, uh, really, are, I would say a note that, that is, is, or a hand that's dealt for people who may not understand what he was doing. Yeah, and I think he had was a far deeper thought than some of his critics uh, give him credit for. I well, again, I think the, the, it's very easy to pass off sex as being something that doesn't matter or is dirty or um, is insignificant, and ultimately, that's more of a reflection of those individuals' uncomfortability with it than anything else. Yeah, you know, the the puritanical version of sex, you're only going to have sex when you have to have children, and it's a dirty, nasty thing, and by God, it's horrible, and we shouldn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an eye-opener in the 60s to pick up a magazine and, and see, for want of a better word, naked breasts and, and frank discussions about sex, and when I grew up with that, yes. suddenly it, you know, it was an eye-opener for me. Yes, we only have sex to reproduce. Yes. What what a sad world we live in when we decide that pleasure is not something that we should hold to value. Couldn't say it better myself, brother. I tell you what else Playboy did that was uh, for people of my generation. I first learned about civil rights. I first learned about different sexualities. I first learned about differences in politics. And I first learned that, you know, a guy that I used to like to watch in the movies was a racist <laughs> by reading playboy and it was there that opened my eyes to a a far greater world Mm. and what you said about sex it couldn't be i think we still do that to this day don't we what specifically that we look at it as something we, we hold it we hold war and killing people in a higher value and hold that more dear to us than having sex and pleasure Mm, certainly and that's something that the Playboy has certainly combated against over the years. Yes. You have, you have any regrets about how it was? And I don't want to say regrets on what you've done or what your dad did, but do you have any regrets that a point wasn't made that could have been made that you wish had been made better? There's no question. Uh, you you don't you don't look back at someone's career or the beliefs that someone had or the decisions that someone made and uh, recognize that for 65 years they made the right decision uh, and or right decisions right and that's the the note that I was really trying to identify not just to his critics but I suppose to all which is that uh, we are human and uh, there are different decisions that I would have made if I were in my dad's shoes uh, that he made at, at particular moments in time. But I don't look at those details and live in them. I, I am very comfortable looking at the larger picture that he was attempting to convey and uh, am unbelievably proud to carry on something that means so much to me personally and so much to others uh, because of what it represents and what it fought for. So when you get to be your pop's age, when when he was uh, 
living his last years on Earth, what would you like to see different in this country than today? Well, I hope there's podcasts that are not sponsored by Marlboro anymore. <laughs> Damn. Um, <laughs> things go better with Coke. <laughs> I would say... You know, and I you hope- said you weren't a comedian. That was pretty good, uh, actually. <laughs> Stick to the script, uh, though. Right. Um, I hope that we work more on building bridges rather than burning them. I hope that more people understand that we are far better together than we are buying into whatever tribe we feel we're a part of. Um, and that really is rooted in what my dad and my sister did each and every day personally and professionally. And I share those values. Uh, and I, I do believe that that is what makes this country great. Um, so when I look or when I imagine myself being older, um, I hope that we're a little more accepting, a little more empathetic. Uh, and while we appreciate compassion, are just as determined as, and, and as competitive as uh, we can be. Because again, uh, while I think a lot of folks on the left have a tendency of not wanting to encourage and appreciate competition. Uh, that's what gets us off this planet. And yeah, I want to live on Mars myself. <laughs> I think I think the folks who are are leaders in thought and and um, all else in the science science community are are worth listening to when they say that uh, we we last a lot longer if we get off Earth. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I I had a kid came come uh, came to me the other day, and he said, um, "You cover the White House," and I go, "Yes, I do." He says, "Do you think that people will be extinct in my lifetime?" And I that really kind of shocked me for a minute that a kid, you know, thirteen years old, would ask me that. But then I think of what you said that in the future, if we don't get off this planet, we may not survive. So that's that's a, a thing to consider. So I'll close it out with this, and this has been a great conversation, by the way. But let me ask you this: What would you, if you had Donald Trump sitting across from you right now, what would you want to say to the President of the United States? Nothing. Which I think begs the question of whether or not I would even want to sit across the table from the President. The answer is I wouldn't. I don't believe that there's anything that I would be able to sit and say that would change his point of view on how great of a job he believes he's doing. Um, I could sit in until I'm red in the face or, or, you know, blue in the face, sit and say uh, how disappointed so many of us are, uh, how connected he was to folks who were and are in entertainment uh, and our institutions on the left. Uh, and it's remarkable to me that uh, he could have been a bridge, and he has chosen to govern with decisiveness in his heart. And that's bizarre. And I'll never be able to understand why. And I hope history looks back. I hope we all can 
and we can't because of the division that exists in the country today. But I hope at some point most of us are able, or I want to, most of us already do. I hope that both Republicans and Democrats can look at him and take a step back and say, whether we agree with his point of view or not, we should be critical of the fact that he decided to break and destroy uh, what makes this country great, which is togetherness and understanding and believing in other and recognizing we're better together than we are apart. Yeah, it's hard to cover this White House, I got to tell you that. I can imagine. I think of you often, (laughs) and I think of other people I know often, and and, uh, you're needed there more than, than ever. I got to take a break every once in a while, though, brother. (laughs) Well, I'll refill your drink. (laughs) There you go. And and you know what? I'll take you up on that. (laughs) The uh, show is called Just Ask a Question. I am uh, Brian Kerman. I want to thank you, Cooper, for being here today. Hope we can have you back again sometime. What a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's been a a fantastic. I enjoyed every moment of the conversation. And once again, we'll be back next week. And uh, tune in then. Thanks a lot. (laughs) 